All right. Well, we will continue this morning in our study of the book Divine Blessing and the Fullness of Life in the Presence of God by William Osborne. And so uh, for anyone who hasn't been here uh, yet, we just started this study a couple weeks ago, and we are currently in chapter 2, and the title of chapter 2 is Blessing the World Through Abraham's Family. The overall theme of the book is a biblical theology focused on what scripture teaches about blessing and the way that God has blessed his people um, throughout scripture. We talked already a couple of times about how the concept of blessing in our current society and culture has lost a lot of its meaning, how people have forgotten what blessing even is. The word is used ubiquitously, but the idea that a blessing involves two parties, both the receiver of the blessing but also a giver of the blessing, that has been largely lost. And so what we've uh, been set out to do on this book is to recover that and to better understand what Scripture has to say about blessing and about how uh, God has given us his blessings. Last week, we talked about creation. So the focus there was on God's blessing of man and blessing of the entire world in creation. And this week, we will follow on with the next part of the story, looking at how God has or continues to bless his people in Scripture, particularly through one family, and that is the family of Abraham. But quickly, before we start moving forward, let's take a step back really quick and go back to what we talked about last week, just as a refresher. Um, In the creation of the world, we saw that God pronounced three blessings. I think if you recall from last week, he blessed the creatures he had created, then he blessed the man and the woman, his image bearers, and after that, he blessed the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and took a rest. When we look specifically at the blessings that God pronounced on the man and the woman, does anyone remember the, the three sort of you know, high-level categories of blessing that God uh, pronounced on the man and the woman? Does anyone remember one of them? Say, I, can, I can fill you in in case you've forgotten. They were abundant life, so he blessed the man and the woman with abundant life. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the creatures. This implied that there would be a world teeming with life, that you would have God's image bearers spreading throughout the the earth and praising him all over the earth. So abundant life was one. The next one we looked at was a place to dwell. We saw that God created the Garden of Eden as a place for the man and the woman to dwell. He gave them uh, somewhere to be. And not only... Was it a place for them to dwell, but it was also a place where God would dwell. And so that was the third blessing, was that God would be present with them. That was ultimately the source of all blessings, was the presence of God, that they were living in his presence and had that connection with him. But of course, then, what do we see when we get to chapter 3? When we see the man and the woman sinning against God? Well, we see all of these blessings being reversed into curses. So we see that that abundant life 
after sin enters the world, now the man and the woman are spiritually dead and physically mortal. We also saw that whereas they previously had a place to dwell in the Garden of Eden, now they're banished from the garden, right? They're sent out of the garden. They're not allowed back in. And then also being banished from the garden, they are now banished from God's presence. So they no longer have that blessing either. And so that set us up going into sort of the later part of chapter 3 with a lot of tension in the story, right? There's a number of tensions there. There's the question of what's going to happen to the man and the woman? Have they lost these blessings entirely? Is all hope gone? Well, what we see there in chapter 3 and what we talked about last week is that no, not all hope was lost. That God, even in the midst of the curses that he's pronouncing upon the serpent and upon the man and the woman, he gives blessings to the man and the woman all the same. And we see that uh, this hope of blessing is preserved. So what we read there in, uh, in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 in Genesis is uh, God saying, This is to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Then he speaks to the woman. He says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. So what we see there is that even within that curse, that blessing of life, that blessing of offspring, of a seed, is still intact. We see that because we see that the woman will have offspring. She will bring forth children, right? And not only that, but this seed of the woman will eventually crush the head of the serpent. So we see a couple of blessings here. We, we, but they fall under that concept of abundant life and seed or offspring. That, that blessing clearly is still intact. Now, this is the first time that we see this mention of this promised seed, but it won't be the last time. And we've talked about this before, but this is you know, the first prophecy of the Messiah or the Christ who was to come and who would crush the head of the serpent, Satan, and who would redeem his people. We see a, just a glimpse into that here, but as we read through Scripture, we see that continue to be developed and expanded. We see more details, and ultimately we get to the New Testament where we see Jesus Christ coming as the promised seed, that promised offspring of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent at the cross. But even in what we'll look at today, even just in Genesis, in the early chapters of Genesis, we already see this theme being developed and expanded. So that will be a large part of our focus today. And I want you, as we go through this study, keep in mind these three categories or sort of summary uh, level categories of blessing, because you're going to see them again and again, right? Abundant life or seed offspring, we'll see a place to dwell, a land, and we'll also see God's presence being a blessing. Well, 
Like I mentioned, we'll eventually get there to chapter 12 where we look at the family of Abraham where God really expands uh, on the way that he's going to bless the world. But we know that in between chapter 3 and chapter 12 where Abraham comes into the picture, a lot happens, right? And a lot of time passes. One of the things we see particularly in that uh, period in Genesis are a number of genealogies given. Now, this is particularly relevant because we have this promise of the seed that would come. We do have the story of Cain and Abel, where Cain murders his brother, and we see, obviously, that seed will not pass through those lines. Then we see Seth being born, and from that point onward, we start to see the first genealogy, the descendants of Seth. These genealogies that are given to us help to reemphasize this concept that there is a promised seed that is coming from the woman, and it traces the specific line through which the seed would come. If we look at those chapters, we see three particular genealogies given. We see in chapter 5, a genealogy going from Adam all the way through Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Then in chapter 10, we pick back up and we see lists of the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We see the three different genealogies given. Then after we read about the Tower of Babel, we come back in chapter 11, starting in verse 10, and we revisit that line of Shem because Shem is shown to be the promised line through which the seed would come. And it ultimately takes us at the end of chapter 11 to a man named Terah who would settle in the land of Haran with his son Abram and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his nephew Lot. So we'll get there eventually, but before we do, we can't just speed past Noah, right? Because the, the narrative doesn't speed past the story of Noah either. We see this first genealogy given um, in chapter 5, going from Adam through Noah and his sons. But then the story slows down and focuses on, upon the particular events within the lifetime of Noah, which are significant, right? The, the global flood, um, Noah and his family uh, being commanded by God to build the ark and to board the ark and to take two of each type of animal with them so that they would be preserved as God wiped off the face the wickedness of mankind at the time. So won't go too much into those details. We all are familiar with that story. But where we're going to focus, particularly for the purpose of looking at blessings in our study today, is on what happens when Noah and his family and the animals disembark from the ark after the floodwaters have receded and they're back on the face of the earth now. We see that God blesses them. We actually see that God is essentially at this point renewing the blessings that he had given to the man and the woman at creation, reemphasizing those for Noah specifically. And in a way, we even see Noah sort of being depicted as a new Adam. Now, we can look through that chapter, particularly in chapter 9, and see a number of ways that this bears out. We see Noah is now the father of all living, right? We can say that we are all descended from Adam, which is true, but we also are all descended from Noah, right? 
because all of the other lines were wiped off the face of the earth and essentially you had a reset with Noah now being Noah and his family being um, the start of all living everyone is descended from one of those lines from Shem, Ham or Japheth so we see Noah as sort of a new Adam in that way we also see though particularly in the first few verses of chapter 9 God repeating his blessings that he gave to Adam and Eve he's repeating them now to Noah and his family so in verse 1 of chapter 9 we see that um, God it says God blesses Noah and his family and then he command he gives them the same command that was given to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth so we see a repeat of that command that was given to the first man and woman we also see in verses 2 and 3 that Noah and his family will have dominion over the earth and its creatures again pointing back to Genesis chapter 1 all of these things that the man and the woman were commanded to do in chapter 1 God says that, that they will do starting with Noah and his family in Genesis chapter 9 we also see Noah depicted as a man who cultivates the ground, similar to Adam. I thought it was interesting that the author pointed that out as another similarity between the two. But then also in verse 6, we see God reiterating that Noah and his descendants are image bearers of God. They bear God's image, which also harkens back to Genesis chapter 1, right? That's where God creates the man and the woman in his image. We see now in chapter 9 God reiterating that they are indeed his image bearers. So in a number of ways we see these blessings again that we saw in chapter 1, right? We see the blessing of abundant life or seed or offspring in verse 1. We also see um, that they will be given a place to dwell. They're going to dwell over the earth. And we see that they are still bearing the image of God. Then, from that point onward, we proceed, as I mentioned before, with the other genealogies and ultimately work our way to chapter 12. And there we finally see God's plan to bless the world start to really come into into the light uh, Osborne says it really well in the book he has a good quote but the point he makes about how we read you know through the genealogies and ultimately get to Abraham he says that like a river narrowing before a cascade the genealogies of Genesis 1 through 11 carry us to a precipice of divine activity where the themes of blessing, seed, and land come pouring over. So here we really see that narrative that we've been following along, focusing in now on one particular family, and that is the family of Abraham. It's also interesting to note the way that this comes about. We don't have a long build-up or backstory of who Abraham is or his family, or what he's done, you know, what his life experiences were to uniquely prepare him to be called by God, or anything of the mat, anything like that. 
it's just very abrupt. The Lord calls Abraham and says that he's going to bless him. And what we have there is really evidence of God's sovereignty and his election of Abraham and his family to bring his blessings to the world. It's not conditioned upon anything special about Abraham's family other than that they are part of the line that God has sovereignly brought about in order to preserve the seed of the woman. So what we see there in verse 12, uh, where we read in the first three verses, this is you know, God's initial, or the first time we see God speaking to Abraham. So we'll go ahead and read there the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So if we had any shade of doubt remaining about whether or not God was going to bless his people after the fall, it should be removed by this point. When we read through this passage, we see a number of blessings that God is promising to provide to not only Abraham, but his descendants, and ultimately to all of the earth. So let's go ahead and walk through those and talk about what in particular we see God promising to provide for Abraham. Well, first of all, we see, once again, a place to dwell. Just like we've been talking about, we see this blessing of having a specific dwelling place given by God. In verse 1, as we read, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God is going to give them a land in which to live, a place in which to dwell. Then if we skip ahead a few verses to verse 7, we see this confirmed again. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Just as God had given Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden as a place to dwell, now he is giving Abraham and his descendants a place to dwell. Another one of those blessings we talked about is abundant life, or seed, or offspring. We see this as well. In verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation. This implies within it that Abram and his family are going to be fruitful and multiply. They're going to have many descendants. And, of course, we'll see God reiterating that uh, with the patriarchs as we look through Genesis. But clearly here there is this blessing of abundant life or seed or offspring being given to Abram in this first in instance that we have of God coming to Abram and giving him these promises. We also see something unique here. We see that Abram is going to be blessed with a great name, great renown among the people. God says, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And we see that. We see that in God's sovereign care over Abram and his protection of him and his blessing of him, we ultimately see that Abram 
has a great name among the people who he comes in contact with. We also see God promising protection of Abram and his descendants. We see God saying in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. So God is going to protect Abram. But if God's going to protect Abram, what does that mean? Well, that has to mean that God is going to be with Abram and his descendants, right? So they are going to have God's presence with them, but not just his presence, an intimate presence, a a protecting and guiding hand over them from God. So again, we've seen these blessings from the creation account, abundant life, a place to dwell, God's presence. God is promising to maintain all of these things for Abram. Then, last but not least, we see in verse 3, Abraham is blessed with the gospel. There in verse 3, we see God saying, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this may sound a bit bold, saying that Abram was blessed with the gospel here all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, but you don't have to take my word for it. This is actually what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Paul is making the point there that Abram even receives the gospel from the Lord, obviously not in a full revelation of all that the gospel means, but we see this early you know, concept of the gospel being communicated to Abram. Now, let's unpack that a bit. What does that mean? Well, there's, there's a lot that we could go into about it, but there's you know, two key points that I want us to focus on in particular. Paul is saying, on the one hand, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abram. This is an early gospel message because Abram's family is going to bring about that promised seed of the woman the Messiah, the Christ, who will save his people throughout the earth. That's one aspect in which we can understand that all of the nations will be blessed through Abraham, right? They will be blessed through Jesus Christ, who is the offspring of Abraham, through that line. The other way, though, that Paul is using this, particularly if you look at his argument in Galatians, if you recall, you know, in Galatians, the argument Paul is working through is that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone and not by works, not by keeping the works of the law. He was arguing against people who were trying to convince the early Christians that they needed to be saved by faith in Christ, but also keeping the law, right? Paul says that's, those are mutually exclusive. It's either grace or it's the law. It can't be both. Um, but what we see here particularly, is that Paul is making the argument, and he unpacks this also in Romans, that Abram was justified by his faith in God's promises and his faith in the Lord. He wasn't justified by doing anything. He was justified by faith. And just as Abram was justified justified by faith, so we are justified by faith in Christ alone, not by keeping the works of the law Paul makes this tie here in Galatians because he points out that that is 
you know, one of the key messages of the gospel, that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. Abram was saved by grace through faith. And we see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Particularly, we see it elsewhere where it says that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? We remember Paul pointing that out as well. But he points out that even all the way back in the very first you know, time that we see the Lord communicating to Paul, we already see that the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the families of the earth shall be blessed by the seed of the woman who will come through Abraham's line, but the families of the earth will also be blessed with the gospel of being saved by grace through faith, which Abram gives us you know, one of our early and primary examples of this. Then as we continue in Genesis, we you know, continue going through the narrative, and once we get to chapter 15, we see that God is going to, uh, he's going to seal the promises that he's given to Abram, and he's going to make a covenant with Abram at this point. Particularly as we get to chapter 15, we see that it does look like Abram is starting to worry a bit about whether or not God is going to make good on these promises because he hasn't seen them come true yet. And so what we see in the first part of that chapter are two instances where God makes an opening statement to Abram, then Abram raises his concern, and then God responds to that concern in a particular way. So let's look through those as well, because this will also be helpful for us in tracing these blessings and seeing that God's consistency in blessing his people and in what he has said to Abraham. So first of all, we see a word from the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. This is the Lord's opening. Then Abram brings forth What's bothering him, right? He gets it off his chest. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram is questioning this blessing of the offspring or the seed. He hasn't seen it, so he wants, you know, he wants to receive assurance from the Lord that this is going to happen. And then what is the Lord's response? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Right, so we see, again, the Lord is confirming this blessing of life, of seed, of offspring. Then immediately after that in verse 7, we see again the Lord brings an opening word. The Lord says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Then Abram follows up with his concern once more. 
on a different topic. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He's questioning God's promise to bless him with land, with a place to dwell. And what's the Lord's response to that concern? I'm going to cut a covenant with you, essentially, right? He says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So you know, God goes straight to, <laughs> straight to the heart of the matter. I'm going to cut a covenant with you. That way you will know that I will be faithful to my word. And so it says that Abraham did as directed, and ultimately we see God cutting that covenant with Abram. So he, you know, as we read through that chapter, we see that he follows, you know, essentially the ancient practice that they had at the time of when they would make a covenant, cutting up the animals, setting the pieces on either side, and then the parties entering into the covenant would typically pass through those pieces and essentially say that if I don't keep my promises in this covenant, then uh, may the same be done to me as was done to these animals. And that was how they would establish a covenant. In this case, what we see is that the Lord passes through the pieces alone. It's a unilateral covenant that the Lord is making with Abram where the Lord is promising to provide him with these blessings. And so we see that um, there's a smoking pot uh, or smoking fire pot and a flaming torch that Abraham sees in a vision passing through the middle of these pieces. And we read there the Lord confirming this covenant. We see him saying, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, or sorry, I was I was getting a bit ahead of myself <laughs> on verse 22. Uh, but we see this covenant being made with Abram. And then we see, you know, after that, eventually, as we go forward in chapter 22, that uh, the Lord is confirming his covenant once more. So and that's after he had given Abraham the command to take Isaac and to offer him up as a sacrifice, and then the Lord had graciously provided a sacrifice in his place um, of the ram there. And so because of Abraham's obedience there, we see yet again uh, God confirming his covenant and that's in chapter 22, uh, in verses 16 through 18, where we read, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So we see again that promise of abundant life, the promise of offspring um, that will come from Abraham. And then lastly, uh, at the end of Abraham's life, we see God yet again pointing out that he had blessed Abraham as he said he would. In chapter 24 of Genesis, in verse 1, we read, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So through all of these instances of God communicating with Abram, with Abraham, we see 
you know, consistency in the blessings that he's providing, and we see that God is working out his plan and starting to, to reveal how he is going to bless the world through this family, through Abram's family. And as we continue reading through Genesis, we see this reiterated time and again to Isaac and then to Jacob eventually. So, uh, again, we see consistency in what God has said. When we look at the story of Isaac, we can go to, ver- to chapter 26, and in verses 3 through 5, we see God yet again confirming his covenant with Abraham. There he says to Isaac, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Again, we can see these same elements that we've seen all along. I hope you're starting to pick up on them as we read through these uh, words that the Lord is giving. We see a land, right? A place to dwell. We see that confirmed once more. We see offspring, you know, abundant life being promised yet again. And we see that God is going to be with his people. We see all of these things yet again consistently as we have throughout the book of Genesis. We also see this promise that through the offspring of this family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We see that the Lord is going to preserve that seed of the woman through their line and ultimately bring that seed uh, to earth in Jesus Christ. Another thing that we see here that is interesting to know is that God's faithfulness to the commandment is not conditioned on Isaac's obedience. It's conditioned on God's faithfulness and also confirmed by Abraham's obedience to what God had told him to do. We actually see God here speaking to Isaac but referring back to the obedience of Abraham, right? So God is calling attention to the interaction that he had with Abraham and his election of Abraham as the the basis for the covenant or for the the promises and the blessings. Then when we get to the story of Jacob in Genesis, we see more of the same, God confirming his covenant with his people. Uh, Jacob obviously is a complex character. The author points this out well. He says, The work of God in Jacob's life takes him from being an impetuous young trickster fleeing from his big brother to a flawed but faithful patriarch of a fledgling people. So, you know, if you recall from the story of Jacob, after he deceives his father into giving him his older brother's blessing, Jacob flees from Esau, fearing for his life. And then in chapter 28 of Genesis... We find Jacob sojourning, and while he slept one night with a stone for a pillow, the Lord appears to him in a dream where he sees a ladder extending from heaven to earth and the angels ascending and descending on that ladder. 
And that latter, if you recall, represents that connection or that relationship between God in heaven and his people on earth. Ultimately, we see in the New Testament that Jesus says that he is the latter that the angels are ascending and descending on. So we see that ultimately Jesus represents the connection between God in heaven and his people on earth. Jesus represents God's presence with his care for his people on earth. But in contrast to the hard stone that Jacob had for a pillow, he has a very pleasant dream. And in that dream, God reminds Jacob that he will be faithful to his promises to his father and his grandfather. In verses 13 through 15 of chapter 28, we see the Lord confirming his promises to Jacob. He says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. See that place to dwell. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Again, abundant life. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You see that promised seed. Behold, I am with you, God's presence with him, and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God is gracious in blessing Jacob. Jacob's not the most attractive character in Genesis, and that's saying something. But God is blessing him because God promised to bless Abraham and his offspring. So we've seen God's blessing of Jacob as he left his home. But then we also see that whenever Jacob eventually returns back to that land after having a family and having gained many possessions, we see that God once again comes out to meet him as he's coming back to the land. So God met him when he went out, and God is meeting him again when he comes back. And we read particularly of the encounter that Jacob has with God in chapter 32 of Genesis. So let's go ahead and read there in verses 24 through 30 of this encounter. We read that, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Here we see, or we, we see a little bit different type of blessing, right? We don't see the same pattern that we'd been looking at of a place to dwell, an offspring, and God's presence. But what we see here particularly is a personal encounter that Jacob has with God. 
and we see his name being changed, which carries with it much significance. The new name he receives of Israel is the blessing here. Where Jacob had, from his birth, been a, a trickster, you know, the heel of his family, as, as his name implied, um, a supplanter, he was now the father of a great people, just like his grandfather Abraham before him. Uh, the author quotes James McCown in providing a summary of this significant encounter, and I thought the quote that McCown had was really helpful in understanding the significance of this story and of uh, Jacob receiving a new name. Um, what McCown says is, Now on his return, as he stands on the outskirts of the land with apprehension about meeting Esau, God blesses him once again. This incident shows that true blessing and possession of the promised land come not by deception or strife, but from Yahweh himself. So far, Jacob's whole life had been a continual struggle, and even his wives turned the natural act of giving birth into a struggle for supremacy. Now he must learn that true blessing is a gift from God. Well, what we see in the remainder of the Genesis account is that Jacob's struggles are far from over, right? He's going to continue to have many struggles in his life. But God is working out the blessings that he had promised to Abraham, and we see that continually in the life of Jacob and then also in the life of his son Joseph, who's sold by his brothers into slavery but ultimately is used by God to preserve that promised seed by saving Egypt and the land around it, including his family, from famine. So God you know, sovereignly works to continue preserving that seed. And as Genesis comes to a close, uh, we see Jacob even blessing his own descendants with the same blessings that God had given to him and to his father and grandfather before him. We see that he blesses Judah, if you remember, uh, with a royal blessing. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And then we also see in his blessing of Joseph that he blesses him with prosperity and abundance in the land where they will be. So we see again this consistency. Um, if we read there in Genesis chapter 49, verses 25 and 26, we see that blessing that Jacob pronounces over Joseph. He says, By the God of your Father, who will help you, by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessing of the breasts and of the womb, the blessing of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. So again, we see that prosperity and abundance of life being promised. And so the blessings of both Judah and Joseph draw upon these previous promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they also carry the storyline of blessing forward as we look to what will come with God's blessing of his unique people, Israel. And that's where our focus is going to turn in our next uh, Sunday school session. We'll be looking particularly at how 
God continues these blessings and really starts to unfold these in the covenant that he makes with his people Israel and the ways in which he blesses them. But we'll save that for next week.